want to put a big number up on the screen for you to start out today. Check out this number. That is the number of choices you make in every single day. 35,000 choices you make. Now you're thinking, you know, like, no wonder I'm so tired. Like, that's a lot of, that's a lot of choices I have to make in a typical day. But it's true, and, and the reason it, it doesn't maybe seem right, you're like, that's probably too many, is because you're probably not counting all the choices that you make. You're thinking like big things. So, so you can think like, all right, what, what choices have I made today? I've made the choice to come to the bird theater. So you made that choice. That's obvious. But think of all the choices that go into that one choice. You chose what seat you're sitting in today. You chose where you're going to park. You chose, you know, when, when you're getting to the car, when you're going to leave, when you're going to walk out the door. You chose to brush your teeth this morning. Not only did you choose to brush your teeth, you chose the pattern with which you would brush your teeth this morning, whether you're going to start on the lower left side or the upper right, like whatever. Like, there's so many choices that go into a typical day. Uh, studies have shown you make 227 choices, 227.6 choices per day just about food. Just about food. So you can see how it starts to add up and you get 35,000 choices a day. And you can also see why that can start to feel a little bit exhausting. Decision fatigue or choice fatigue is a real thing. By the end of the day, you're just over making all the decisions and making choices about things. That's why late at night, it's like, what do you want to watch on Netflix? I don't care. What do you want to watch? I don't care. Where do you want to go to dinner? I don't care. You decide. For some of you, that might be because you're just so agreeable But for other people, you're just over it. You're just over the cognitive load of making decisions and making choices all day long. Now, choices is a really important topic, and I wanted us to kind of land this series on this topic and and, and really look at the choices that we make because the choices that we make are going to have a huge effect on where we're going and and what what happens in our future. To, To kind of get you up to speed, and let me just sum up here briefly where we've been in this series. We called this series Rewrite Your Future, and we started with the concept eight weeks ago about a default future. A default future is what will happen in your future, in your experience, if, if not, not, nothing significant changes. So if you take your past history, where you've been, your education, your, your, your background, your work experience, whatever, your friendships, you take all of that stuff, and then you take your current reality, who are you hanging out with, what do you read, what are you, what are you into, what are you doing with your time and your body, all that. You take your past history, your current reality, and you project that into the future. That is your default future. If nothing changes, this is where life is going for you. And we've said in this future, that almost feels, the, in this series, that almost feels determinist, like, oh, this, this future is coming for me whether I'm ready for it or not. But there's a way to rewrite that future. And we've been looking at the different aspects of that over the last eight weeks. For the first four weeks, we said, look, the first thing you need to do is understand where you are. You can't figure out where you're going and you won't know how to get there unless you get very clear about where you are. Take a look at the way you think, why you think the way you think, why you do the things that you do. Take a look at that stuff first. And so we spent four weeks on that. We looked at forgiveness as a, as a way of dealing with our past and all of that stuff. So we looked at that for four weeks. And then these last couple of weeks, we've been looking at, okay, where do you want to go? Let's get very clear. Uh, let's get vision. Let's put out there, what are your dreams? What are your hopes? What are your goals, aspirations? Where are you going? We know where you are. We've talked about where you are. Now let's talk about where you're going. And those are, those are both uh, really important aspects of, of change and of growth and of transformation. But the last thing we need to look at are the choices that you make. Because if we've looked at basically your thinking 
and your, your, your dreams. So if we've looked at the head and the heart, we also need to look at the hands and the feet. Like, what are you actually going to do? Because how you behave, what you do, will shape and form who you're becoming. It will, it will actually uh, shape your future with the, the, the different steps along the way that you're, the, the things that you're doing. We have to address choices. It's not enough for me to get up here and just give you um, information. You know, and we, we said earlier in this series, if information was all that we needed for transformation, then all of us would be millionaires with six-pack abs. Because we all know how to do some of those things. We all understand it. Information is not enough. And you've experienced that before. Maybe you've heard in these eight messages, uh, the previous seven, maybe you've heard things you've like written it down and you've thought, oh, I should tweet that out or I should make a note of that or, oh, that's really good. And, and you've done that before, maybe in, in messages in a church or, or at a seminar or someone said this at work or your mom said it or whatever. You've written stuff down and you've thought, oh, that's really good. But the information alone didn't really move the needle for you. I don't care how inspirational the quote was. I don't care if the quote was set against, you know, a backdrop of sunshines and birds flying over and, like, the clouds and the mountain, and you're like, oh, my gosh, that's so beautiful. Set. You know, I don't care how beautiful the setting was or how inspirational the words were, how pretty the words were. At the end of the day, the words, the information is not enough. You have to address what are you actually doing. What are you going to do with your time? What choices are you making? Because the choices that you make are going to get you down the road to transformation. And this is crucial for us, I think especially as followers of Christ, because God has such an incredible interest in our hearts. And the choices that we make are connected to our hearts. And, and, and the choices that we make reveal our hearts. When Jesus teaches, one of the reasons his teaching has endured for thousands of years is I think he really understands this stuff and really gets into it. His, his, his famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, recorded in the New Testament in Matthews 5, 6, and 7, is basically a master class on the human heart and how it's connected to our brains and, and how it's connected to our behaviors. And so I wanted to read to you from the beginning of that sermon. It's, it's a statement that you may have memorized or you may have heard things from the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor, blessed are the peacemakers. That's how he starts the sermon. And you may have heard his other stuff about, you know, you shouldn't commit adultery and you shouldn't lie and, and you know, you shouldn't, um, when you fast, you shouldn't do it to be seen by other people. And, and there's some pretty famous stuff in there in the Sermon on the Mount. But right here at the beginning are these couple verses that we, we tend to blow past, but really these few verses are kind of the central thesis of the entire message that he delivers. And so it's really important that we get a look at Matthew chapter 5. Look, we'll look at verses 17 and 18. We'll put it up on the screen. Jesus starts right near the beginning of the sermon. He says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Okay, to understand that, you need to understand he's a Jew in Israel in the first century talking to Jews. And he's teaching some incredible stuff. And he's, and he's giving his, his teachings and, and explaining the world and explaining the heart and explaining God and all of this stuff. And, there's, and, and, and he's not starting a new religion known as Christianity. He is teaching Jews about their heavenly father and what it means to be a follower of him. So it isn't like, oh, here comes a new religion. It's just like I'm just 
a continuation of teaching about God, the God that you've, you've always known as, as the Jews. So he's, he's teaching that, but to them, his teachings might sound so radical that they're sitting there wondering, is this a whole new thing? Is Jesus getting rid of all the law? Like the law is what they live by, the Ten Commandments, you know, laws about keeping the Sabbath, laws about don't kill people, laws about honoring people, laws about, um, you know, cleanliness and, and how you handle food and ceremonial stuff. All those laws in the Old Testament, Jesus comes along and teaches, and the audience is there thinking, is he going to get rid of the laws? Like he's so radical, is he like just going to blow this thing up and start over? And Jesus starts out by saying, look, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Uh, the, the laws reveal something about the heart of God. I'm going I'm bu- to build on those things. In fact, I'm doing something else altogether with my teaching. And then he tells us what here in verse 19. He says this, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, this is key, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. All right, let's, let's unpack that for a second. Jesus says, no, I'm not gonna get rid of all the laws. In fact, he basically says, you're gonna have to be better at this stuff than you are. You're going to have to get it more. You're going to have to have it really sink in. And he even goes so far as to say, unless you are more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees, then you're not going to get it. You're not going to understand what it means to live in, in God's kingdom and, 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 really, and, and have it really click for you. You're not going to be close to the heart of God unless you are more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees. Understand that's a bombshell to them. To average people, farmers, people that live around Galilee that he's talking to, just sort of the working class, he basically just said to them, you have to be more holy than the the priests. You have to be more religious than all of your religious leaders. And they're sitting there thinking, ain't no way I can do this. I can't, I can't be that holy. They like pray all the time and they memorize the Torah. They were the best religious students of their day. I'm just a farmer, I'm just a fisherman, I just do, you know, this stuff. How can I be better, more holy than them? Think of it in your, in, in today, if Jesus says, look, you need to be holier than your grandma. And you're sitting there going, I can't do that. She used to pray every day a couple times a day next to her bed. She used to go to church three times a week. She would give money and help people like, my grandma's like the most holy person I know. And Jesus comes along and says, you're going to have to be more holy than that. What is he saying? He's saying, you're going to have to drive into the heart of the thing, not just do the externals. Because what the Pharisees and the scribes and what a lot of of religious people do, even to this day, is they major in the externals and they ignore the stuff that's actually going on in their hearts. Jesus says, no, no if you're really gonna get it, your actions are gonna have to line up with your beliefs. But even more than that, not just your actions line up your beliefs, your actions are actually gonna have to have an alignment with your heart, with your will, with your motives. These things need to line up. If you, if you get that right and work on that, then you're, then you're really getting it. And then he goes into, in the next, next verses, we're not gonna read it, but Jesus goes into some examples of this. And he's like, hey, you've heard that, you shouldn't kill people. That's actually one of the Ten Commandments. But 
a lot of people are not killing people, but they're still angry in their hearts. I want you to deal with your heart. Hey, you've heard that you shouldn't commit adultery. So a lot of people are running around not committing adultery, but you're still lusting after people in your hearts. I want you to deal with your heart. Hey, you give money to the church, or you give money to the synagogue, you, you, you give money away, but you do it in such a way that everybody sees what you're doing and you make a big show of it, and you're actually not giving because you're generous, you're giving because you want other people to see how good you are. I want you to deal with your heart. Over and over, the good things that we do, the bad things that we do, Jesus brings all this to the surface and says, what is really going on in your heart underneath? It's not enough just to play the game and to check the boxes and say you're doing the religious thing. Jesus is pointing at them and at me and at you, at us in, in the 21st century as well. He's saying, look, look at your heart. Look at what's really going on there. Examine that thing. I, I, anyone can see what you're doing, but what's going on underneath the surface of what you're doing? You have to address your heart. You can give money begrudgingly, and that's not getting your heart right. You can serve someone begrudgingly, and that's not helping. You can pray because you think you're supposed to, and you could do it out of duty. You can be faithful to your spouse officially, but if you don't address your heart, you're not really going to change, and you're not really going to become who God is calling you to be. So how do you address your heart? There's the question. If that's the issue, how do you address it? And I would say that you address your heart by looking closely at your choices. Your choices reveal your heart. That's unusual for us because we typically don't connect our choices and our hearts. That's not something we do. Normally what we do, we actually just hide from our hearts by outsourcing our choices. We hide from our core motivation by pretending that our choices were made by someone else or giving someone else the power to make the decisions over our lives. And so we never have to actually address what's going on inside. That sounds a little bit weird, but let me, let me see if I can explain it. Let's say you said to me, hey, Chris, uh, next Saturday I'm having a party. Do you want to come over? And I said, sorry, I can't. I'm going to be out of town. Now, guess what? That is true. So if you want me to come over to a party at your house next Saturday, I can't come because I'm going to be out of town. But the reality is, whether I want to come to your party or not is now off the table. My heart's desire is not a question here. We're not even talking about that. I have already said, hey, this is a non-choice for me. I'm not making a choice here. I'm going to be out of town. Here's the reality of that situation. Hey, Chris, can you come over to a party at my house next Saturday. No, sorry, I want to be out of town more than I want to be at a party at your house next Saturday. That's true, right? Because if I didn't want to go out of town, I just won't go. If, if, if the party's like, oh man, I really need to be there, I really want to be there, then I'll go. But the truth is, I want to be somewhere else more than I want to be at the party at your house next Saturday. Now, I don't, sound, I don't say that to your face because I don't want to sound like a stone-cold killer. And we're in the South, right, so we have, like, social niceties. So what I say is, I can't be there Saturday. But the truth is, I don't want to be there Saturday. Maybe I want to be there. Oh, yeah, I want to. But I want to be somewhere else more. That's reality. That's, that's true. Hey, Chris. Um, can, you, can, can you meet for coffee Thursday morning? 
no, I can't, I have to work. That's only kind of true. The truth is, I want to work more than I want to meet you for coffee at Thursday. We don't say that, but it's true, right? I want to work. I don't have to work. They don't have a gun to my head saying you have to work. They have a paycheck. And here's the real truth. I want the paycheck to pay my bills more than I want to meet you for coffee on Thursday. Look, pause. No judgment here. This isn't judgment. I'm just saying let's notice what is. It's okay that you go to work. It's okay that you can't meet for coffee. It's okay that you can't make the party. It's okay. But notice what's actually going on there. We tend to ignore the choices that we make by saying there's something else. I can't come. I, I can't be there. Sorry. Well, I should do this, and then we go do it. We, and, and, and what I want you to see is that when you say can't and, and when you say should, notice that. Just notice it. Notice when you say I can't when you really mean I won't. Notice when you say I can't when the truth is you're, you're kind of saying I don't want to. I'm not suggesting you go out and start telling everybody that you don't want to see them when they invite you out. Maybe we should do some of that. But, but I, I get it. If someone says, hey, let's meet at you know, 10 a.m. on Wednesday, and you're like, I have to work, I'm not, I'm not suggesting you start telling people, I want to work more than I want to hang out with you, because that's not nice, <laughs> right? But I do want you to notice it. Notice what's going on there. Notice the choices that we make. We say, oh, it's no big deal to talk like that. It's no big deal. But here's the thing. Over time, when we're not noticing those choices that we're making, we end up not really dealing with or engaging our hearts. We're not getting down there into the stuff. I found this really good verse from the Old Testament, the Song of Solomon. It's, it's pretty obscure, um, but, but I, I thought it just had a, a great little phrase of, of, of saying this. The Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15, it says, Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. Catch the foxes. Which ones spoil the vineyards? The little foxes. Not the hurricanes spoil the vineyards. Not a tornado. Not a bear coming through and destroying the vineyards. Just the little foxes. And if you would just catch the little foxes, maybe you won't spoil the vineyard. or Maybe your vineyard won't be ruined. And I think our hearts are kind of the same way. You know the big stuff of your heart. You know when your heart, we would say your heart is on your sleeve. You know when you break up and you're in tears and the relationship is broken and there's sadness? You know that's a big deal. You know choices that you're making there. You, you're aware of your heart in that moment. You know when you're so angry you could just like rip the head off of something or someone and you want to like punch something or someone and you're super angry and you're slamming doors and whatever? You, you're aware of your heart in that moment, Right? You know when you've been betrayed, how you feel, the betrayal, the darkness, the, the fracturing of a relationship that goes on there. Your heart is all on display. It's all out there. Those are the big bears. Those are the big foxes. But notice the little foxes. Notice the little choices that you're making. Notice the little ways your heart is engaged or not engaged. Because it's those little things that actually will spoil the vineyard. So, three things and then we're done. We'll make this clean and, and simple. Number one, I just said it. Notice the choices that you're making. 
Notice the choices that, that you're making. Uh, Darren Hardy, um, a great quote by Darren Hardy, he says, uh, it's not that you're making bad choices. If, if, if bad choices was the problem, that would be easy to fix. The problem is that you're sleepwalking through your choices. So it's not that, not that as we said about vision and goal and direction and where we want to go in our lives, it's not that we're just making a lot of bad decisions along the way. Sure, you make bad decisions. The bag of Doritos versus the apple. Sure, like uh, I'm going to w- watch one more episode versus actually reading scripture or praying or the things that I had set out to do. Yes, there are bad decisions along the way, but Darren Hardy points out, and I think this is true, the problem is really that we just sleepwalk through most of our choices. We don't even realize that we're, that we're having them. There are 35,000 of them that we're having each day, and, and you have to notice them. Going to the gym in the morning if you're going to exercise, going to the gym is a choice, and notice when you say, I didn't have time to go, is that actually true, or did you not make time? Notice that you said, I didn't have time to go, when in your heart you didn't really want to go. This isn't judgment. This is, let's notice our stuff. Let's see what we're really doing. Let's, let's engage the choice. Let's engage our hearts. Notice when you, you wanted to read a few pages of, of the Bible or a good book or whatever, and you didn't. And you said, man, I just, I, got, I don't have any time to read right now. Notice that. That's a choice you're making. You have as much time as anybody else. What are you doing with the, 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 hours, that you've, the, the hours that you've been given? Notice that stuff. And when I say notice the, the little choices that you're making, uh, really what I'm saying is notice your heart and how your heart is engaged in your life. And number two, um, in addition to notice the choices, number two is start making small new choices. We have daily small choices that we make. Um, and, and they will rad- these things will radically affect our future. Like, if you've done any of the homework I gave you in this series, if you have leaned into this and you said, okay, um, I want to dream big. I want to write it down. I want to have a vision of where God is calling me to be. I want to identify my own stuff. I want to identify my rackets, different things that we've talked about over these last seven weeks. Um, if, you, if you write it down and you have vision, a goal, and you have a direction, you're going this place, um, if you've done all of that, and you look at it on paper and you go, and then you sit down with someone. I said, make requests last week. You sit down with someone and say, hey, this is where God, I think God's leading me. What do you see? What do you think? And maybe that person, when you sit down with them, they expand your vision or maybe they refine it a little bit. Inevitably, I think, you're going to look at that vision and you're going to go, this is overwhelming. This is a lot. How am I going to do this? And that's the good stuff, honestly. If it scares you a little bit, that's, that's some really good stuff you're probably putting out there. And so if you're terrified of a vision that you have for your life uh, and, and where you believe God's calling you, here's the step. Just start making some new, maybe some different, small choices. Uh, just, just start with one little step. Darren Hardy has a book called The Compound Effect, and he uses this illustration. I think it's, it's really good to, to explain this. Let's say you have three different people they're all very similar in personality. Let's say all same height and weight, whatever. Let's say they all work together, these three people. Um, but they make some different choices. So person number one decides to make some different choices in life. And, and, and person number one uh, says, I'm going to cut out 125 calories a day. 125 calories a day is not a lot. It's like half a candy bar. It's like a bowl of cereal. It's like I'm just 
you know, there's 125, I'm just not going to have those. In addition to that, person number one says, I'm going to drink two more bottles of water per day. And I'm going to do the Fitbit thing, and I'm going to walk like 2,000 more steps per day than I have been. None of that is overwhelming. Those aren't major decisions. Two bottles of water, 2,000 steps, 125 calories is like nothing. I bet most of us in this room, if I said, could you cut out 125 calories a day, you'd be like, easy. Like, I could figure it out, no problem. Uh, and then let's say the same guy says, I want to prioritize time with my wife. We're going to go on a date night every week. I don't know how I'm going to make it work, but we're just going to do it. We're going to go out and have a date every single week. And he says, you know, at work, uh, I got these sales calls that I need to make. I'm going to try to make two more sales calls a day. That's it. Not a ton. Just two more prospects reaching out, making some calls. And he says, you know, for my own mental development, I'm going to start reading. And so the guy says, I'm going to read 10 pages a day. That's not a lot. That's not like cranking through War and Peace in a week. We're talking 10 pages a day of pick the book. Like, I just want to read something that's good, that helps me grow, whatever. I'm going to read 10 pages a day. A bunch of little foxes, all of it, little choices. Person number two doesn't change anything. They're like, can't be bothered, don't want to cut any ad, don't want to put a new thing on my plate, not going to do any of those things. Okay, so they just kind of status quo. Person number three says, man, I'm going to eat the brownies when they bring them in the office. You know, in the break room, I'm just going to come nibble a little bit. And so the person's not, that person's not uh, cutting 125 calories a day. He's maybe adding 125, okay? That person says, I'm going to skip a couple workouts a week when I'm really tired. That person says, I'm going to drink Coke, not water. Uh, Diet Coke, though, because it's good for you. It's like practically a health drink, right? Uh, So that person says, I'm going to do that. Um, And so... Uh, I'm going to make those kind of decisions, and, and instead of prioritizing date night with his wife, this guy says, I'm going to just, maybe not consciously, but he kind of gives her the cold shoulder and never really, you know, just kind of goes into his own world, never really gets into her thing. He maybe blows off the occasional sales calls, he's not interested in making one more call, that kind of thing. So he basically does the opposite of what the first guy did. What difference does it make in their lives over time? Well, five months later, If you look at all three of those people, five months later, they're basically the same. You would not see any difference. It's a a slow burn on this. Ten months in, after they've been doing this, ten months in, you still aren't going to see much of a difference in these folks. Uh, They'll still look the same, basically act the same. Um, You're not going to see much going on there. But after 27 months of living the way I just described those three people, person number one, has read 47 books, great books, stuff that's going to help him grow, stuff he's learned from. Person number one has lost, because of cutting 125 uh, calories a day, uh, he's lost 33 and a half pounds. Uh, Because of the Fitbit, because of the walking 2,000 extra steps per day, he has walked an extra 900 miles than the other people. Uh, During that, that 27 months, he's gone on 124 date nights with his wife. You don't think that helps his relationship get better? Because of the extra uh, couple calls a day in sales, he's made an extra 1,600 sales calls. If even 3% of those translate into business, he has uh, made bonuses and all. He's effectively tripled his income. That's what person number one did with little choices along the way. Person number two made no choices whatsoever. His life is basically the same, except he's probably a little more jaded, a little more cynical, a little more irritated that nothing really changes and he's bored. Person number three has actually gained 33 pounds from, from doing that. 
uh, from, not, from not walking more, from, from eating a little bit extra. Um, his relationship with his wife has grown kind of cold because he's not really investing in it, and maybe he's on the verge of divorce. He's blown off some sales calls, so he's in financial trouble because he's not really making, uh, making the effort to go, to go after it. I just want you to see and notice that it's the little foxes that spoil the vineyard. And it's the little foxes. Maybe it's the, it's the little things, the little decisions that we make that are going to help us grow. So number one, notice the choices you're making. Number two, start making small new choices. And then let me leave you with this. Number three, enjoy the journey, not just the destination. Enjoy the journey, not just the destination. I'm very goal-oriented. And maybe you are too. I have plans and dreams and things I write down, and I want to go and I want to accomplish this. But like, most of life is not hitting goals, right? Most of life is working towards a goal. And sometimes I say I'm goal-oriented, and what I mean is I, I, I want to hit the goal. I just don't want to do the work it took to hit the goal. I want to have read the New Testament. I don't want to read it. I want to be in the best shape of my life. I just don't want to do the work that it took to get there. I, I, I want to make you know, this income. I just don't want to do the hard work that that's going to take and, and the sacrifice that it'll take to get there. And... And we need to be aware of that. And we need to enjoy the process along the way. Because if all you ever enjoy is hitting the goals, you're going to be miserable most of your life. Because most of our lives is not hitting goals. Most of our life is just walking down the road and, and getting on the path and, and following where God leads us. God has us on earth for a purpose. And it's, and it's a journey. And it's not just the destination. The destination is heaven. The destination is eternity. The destination is being the, 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 the citizen of heaven and, and, and living in that eternal life in the kingdom of heaven that starts now and goes through eternity. Yes, that's a destination, but there's, we're here for a reason. God doesn't say, you're now one of my children. You've been saved. Zap, I'm going to pull you from the earth. We're, we're, we're on a road here. So enjoy the, the walk along the way. Celebrate the little victories. Don't just celebrate, hey, I, I finally ran a 10K. Celebrate the first time you got off the couch and ran anywhere. That's great. Awesome. I, I, enjoy the moments along the way. I believe God has placed it within us, the ability to rewrite our futures. I firmly believe that all you have ever been does not have to determine all you will ever be. I think God can do immeasurably more in us and through us. In fact, that's not me thinking that. That's what the scripture says in Ephesians, that God can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. And I cling to that. I believe it. It's a promise from God. So dream big and start small and ask God to help you along the way and keep showing up and keep putting the effort in in the little ways and let God bring about all the growth that he wants to bring from that. Let's pray. God, I thank you for being the God who rewrites our future, who gives us a new hope and a new future, and who changes the trajectory of our lives, that we were uh, dead in sin, that we were rebellious against you, that we had turned away, but... Um, when we turn towards you and repent of our sins, you bring about new life and regeneration in us and you, you work us over from the inside out. Um, God, you are not finished with any of us yet. We are all a work in progress. 
So God, help us to notice the choices we're making and to see the progress that you're making in us. God, we will be faithful to show up and do the work. And I, I claim, God, that you promise to be faithful and, and create something new in us, that you began a good work in us and you'll be faithful to complete it. Thank you, Lord, for uh, this series, this opportunity to explore these concepts. And um, I pray that uh, they land not just in our heads, but in our hearts. And even today, they will, these concepts will land in our actions as well. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.